This is a podcast from Delancey Ealing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 in the Delancey Ealing Church building at Le Banks and Sampson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyealing.co.uk. churches, not just the Elam churches, I, I, I want to say, but right across the world, something has been developing um, more and more in the modern world. I'm not too sure if actually it is just in the modern world. I think it's been there for a long time. And that is in the whole area of human trafficking. I'm just going to put on uh, a slide here, and, um, and then I'm going to show you a little uh, video clip, and then I'm going to come back and explain a little bit more. So here comes my little PowerPoint little slide here. Oh, superb. Going great. Let me just give you some statistics here on the second slide here. What, what about human trafficking? Human trafficking is the second largest global organized crime today. Trafficking for sexual exploitation generates $32 billion per year. There are 1.39 million victims of commercial sexual servitude worldwide. Over 25% of sex traffic victims are trafficked from southern and eastern Europe. And 90% of victims trafficked into the EU will end up in the sex industry. Maybe I'll just show you a video clip now, and I'll just come back in a couple minutes. Nothing is more inhuman than the trafficking and enslavement of our world's youth. It's hard to understand that children can be sold by their often desperate mothers to relatives of smooth-talking strangers who promise to give them a better life. Such children are forced to work or beg for long hours every day with little food provided, no education or health care, and having to live in insanitary conditions. Many of these children are sexually abused, sold into the slave industry to work in brothels, the worst manifestation of what people can do to other people. These children suffer a nightmare of physical and emotional violence that is impossible to comprehend. They can be shot, burnt, beaten or raped until they submit. They have no other option. They live a zombie-like existence of brutality as men spend a few coins for a few minutes of sex that will scar a child for a lifetime. In 2010, I visited a home in India caring for young girls rescued from sexual abuse and the sex industry. From being kids without hope, with no light in their eyes, with no identity, these girls had been set free. The wonderful Christian couple running the home are helping the girls to heal and empowering them. Girls who were so terribly abused, they are free to be children again. I returned home compelled and determined to help girls like those I saw in the home. To take women and young girls and boys out of desperate situations of abuse 
and put them into places where they can be loved and cared for in a Christian environment. To be able to think about what they are going to be rather than what is going to be done to them. That is what our Freedom Project is all about. A global fund rescuing and restoring one frightened woman and child at a time. When one talks and thinks about human trafficking or the sex trade, it is such a huge problem. And the question is, where do you start? How can I help? How can I make a difference? And sometimes this can be a stumbling block to being involved. What we are doing through Freedom Project is to give people bite-sized opportunity to make a difference in people's life. It may be in India, Cambodia, Southern Africa, or even across Europe. Opportunities for people to know that they can make a difference in someone's life. That we are tackling a huge problem, person by person. You know the old adage, changing one life at a time, is absolutely true. And it starts with one woman, one young boy, one young girl, and we can change their lives. We need to act to make a difference. We need to set them free, restoring a woman's dignity and letting children become children again. We've really just begun as an Elam denomination to, to tackle this um, global uh, problem. And we're actually about 10 months into it. And just um, as we journey along, we are finding more and more desperate uh, situations and, and stories. That's Chris Jones, he's a, probably recognise his face, not a pretty picture. He's the International Missions Director and uh, he's really fronting uh, this, this whole thing. Um, I don't know her name, but she was trapped in, in, in a marriage which was controlling. A young lady and it wasn't a great setup for her and after a few months she managed to escape from him and she ran back to her home to be with her father back to safety after four months he came looking for her and he knew where she would be and he went immediately straight to the family home he began to befriend her father. And for four or five days they just sat together, him and her father, and they drank and they talked. And he was seen to be the most wonderful man. And maybe my daughter got it wrong. And he won the father over. Even so that the, the father wanted... Um, him to stay, stay a bit longer. He says, no, it's time for us to go home now. And so the father blessed them and said, no, daughter, you've got to go. You've got to go back with him. You know, you're, you've made that, that promise to be with him. You've got to go back with him. So they went back and they journeyed back to this controlling home that she fled from. And they went through a route back to their place that they were really unfamiliar with. And they ended up in a town which they'd never travelled through before. And actually they did not realise that this was in the whole region. It was actually the gay capital within that whole region. 
they managed to find accommodation and they stayed the night. And during the night, men of that town, drunk, high on drugs, perhaps certainly motivated by a demonic wickedness, came and bombarded into that accommodation place looking for foreigners, looking for strangers, and they had been told that strangers were in the place, foreigners were in the town. And there was only one thing that these men wanted to do, and that was to sodomize any man that they could find, particularly any foreigner. Such was their wickedness and demonic uh, possession of their lives. The guy who owned the accommodation establishment said, there is no way I'm going to let that happen. This man, though, although he may appear to have been somebody who was protecting the whole situation, there was something wrong with him as well. Because he said, what I will do, man, if you will just leave this, this guy alone, because I'm not going to allow you to, to sodomize him. I will let you have my daughter. And this man said, well, you can have her. And the owner of the accommodation establishment said, okay, let's send the two women out. And the two women were thrown out onto the street that night. And the two men came back into the accommodation and they slept really well. And outside was two women. Don't really know what happened to the the daughter, but what I do know what happened to this girl I'm talking to you about is that she was gang raped all through the night. And in the morning... She managed to get back to the accommodation place where they were staying. And she just fell on the doorstep. In the morning they opened the door and there she was. And her husband, or whatever he was, not knowing whether she was dead or alive, he picked her up, carried her, put her in, in his car or whatever vehicle, whatever transport they were using, and they went off home. When they eventually got to the controlling home that she fled from, she was dead. And what he did to her was the most horrendous thing that I have ever heard happening to an individual. He cut her body up, he dismembered her body. And he sent parts of her body to 12 different places. 12 areas that he had contact with. I tell you that story because some of you may have twigged it. It's not a modern story. It's in the Bible. It's Judges chapter 19. I told you a story of dismemberment. I told you a story of betrayal, of gang rape. And you know there is no mention whatsoever of God in that chapter. Which is really strange because in Genesis, when there was a similar account, God comes into Sodom and Gomorrah and God sends angelic messengers and protection and comes into that situation. But on this occasion, God is not speaking at all. God has nothing to do in that situation whatsoever. And even in the next chapter, when the man is talking about it, he's covering up. He's saying, oh, it was a terrible thing. But he actually doesn't acknowledge his own guilt and doesn't acknowledge his own crime. Why do I tell you that story? Is this. Since the fall of mankind, it seems that women have been subject 
to all kinds of wickedness of man. And although you can find God moving in areas of other issues around the world, when it comes to trafficking and sexual crime upon women, the women will say, I could not hear God. I could not see God. And today around our world and in our continent of Europe, there are women voiceless, faceless, nameless to you. But they are someone's daughter, someone's relative, who has gone missing years ago and now are trapped into a situation. And even younger than that, the bizarre, horrendous thought of children being captured. And what is Elam doing? Elam is trying to change the world for one person. Not change the world, but change the world for one person. Small little things. Small little stories. So on here, this when you saw the little video of, of India, and the brilliant home, which I, I was there in January, of a home of uh, 16 children, excuse me, 18 children, ages 6 to 16, who have been rescued from the slums of Delhi, who were either found walking the streets having been abused, or were seen to have been groomed within the slum and was rescued ahead of time, and now doing so well in the home that Elam, uh, uh, here and Elam in New Zealand are sponsoring. And there are plans now to develop a new home there in Delhi and, and to build that, and we're, we're trying to raise awareness of that and pray into that whole thing. And into Cambodia, into Phnom Penh, there's a, a wonderful daycare centre where a third of the workers are now redeemed from a life of sexual servitude. And they've got respect and dignity. In an area where the wickedness and the demonic around that daycare centre is just right before your eyes. I was speaking yesterday in a very rushed way. I was uh, coming to the end of my time and I was saying this, is that around ne- quite nearby to where our daycare centre is, Elam's Day Centre in Phnom Penh, there is a one square kilometre. And within that area, there are bars all around, clubs. And you see white western men just coming in. And they're coming in for one reason only. You see them in the airport just flying in for one reason only. And within that area alone, every year, the statistics from national government organizations are that 30,000 children are trafficked through that way. I was staying in my hotel in Phnom Penh and I, it was really, really hot one night. I came out into the front of the garden of the hotel and I was just standing there getting some air and these kind of like taxi men came up and 
So do you want to go? I said, uh, if I wanted a girl, what age could you take me to? So I can take you to girls age 12, no problem. Just coming straight up to a stranger like me, because I'm Western. And these children and these women are locked into a demonic oppression. What Israel said in Judges 20, Judges 19 and 20, in Judges 20, Israel said, we have not seen anything like this ever since we left Egypt. We must talk about it. We must speak it out. There are times when God goes silent because he waits for the church to talk about something that's uncomfortable and not nice. And the church needs to talk about the Freedom Project in a very positive way that we are going to make difference to young lives, to children, to children like, where is Madeline? Where is she? And the thousands of Madeleines around the world that tonight are frankly crying out to a God that they can't see, they don't know, and they don't think he's listening. And we need to speak it out and, and, and stand up for righteousness and say we'll make a difference. My time's coming to an end. I only had just, just a wonderful privilege just to, just to share what I've shared. I just wanted to raise awareness. And please, this will help you much more. It was, it, it's, it's the most recent magazine, which we put together. There's a little wristband, um, which just simply says Freedom Project on it. There's a little pen. But there's a magazine full of information. You don't have to go far to find out information. You just go onto any of the websites and you tap in some of these words. You need to be careful, but you need to tap in some of these words. You're going to find the information. Tonight, the UN are saying the rape capital of the world is the Congo, where 48 women are raped every hour. Recent, I was with, I joined Eric in Zimbabwe. I was going down to Zimbabwe for a reason, but you know, it was one of those things I was going down, and it wasn't the reason why I was going down. It was, a, it was another reason that I found out. And I, I met up with this man, and he turns out to be the, the chief of specialist operations of the Congolese army. I met with him at breakfast. I told him what we were doing. I told him our heart and our passion, our desire to help. And he told me about his country. And down the east of Congo, on the border of Rwanda, where the war has been, he said, we have women walking the streets, desperate, because of what man has done to women. And some of the things that we want to do as Elam is to go into these places, and he's given us access direct access into that country which is very difficult to get into but he's given us access into it and we're going to go in there in the next six, nine months and we're going to help 
with clinics and taking nurses and taking doctors and set up some clinics just to help to repair, physically repair. Sometimes women have to have operations two, three times because of the horrendous things that have happened to them. And that's something that Elam are going to be involved in. What can you do? Well, you can speak up. And you can pray. You can pray. Second, you can speak up and you can begin to put it on the agendas of whatever you have. Whatever needs an agenda, you stick it there. And say, look, what is this Freedom Project? How can we be involved? And thirdly, well, you can pick up a magazine, get a little bit more information, but this is my plug, then I'm out of here. Well, I'm not over there. My plug is this. There is a direct debit form. I have no embarrassment in saying this. There's a direct debit form there. And whether you could, whatever you could do, every small little thing really adds to a bigger, bigger, bigger pot. Someone needs to say to the church, to the Elam church, please, will you give some finances to this? Someone needs to say that. And I'm quite willing to be one of those people to be able to say that because I've seen the need. When you see a five-year-old girl coming into a daycare centre as being one of the first, one of the newest additions to the daycare centre and her dress is, is covered with blood. You never get that picture out of your mind. And when you go back home, you want to talk about it. And you want to say, look, you, want to see, you say to the girl, I'm going to talk about you and I'm going to raise some money because this is not going to happen to any of your friends anymore. We're going to try and make a difference. We can't change the world. But we can change the world for somebody. Thank you. It's great to have John and Rachel with us. You know, missionaries from Honduras or were from Honduras. They're actually missionaries from Carlisle. And, um, but they're actually, they, they're, they're in between appointments. They spent uh, two and a half to three years in Honduras serving the Lord, reaching out to children and youngsters who are on the street. And, uh, and, and very shortly they're going to be going out to Paraguay and do a similar work that they've been doing in Honduras. But before they, um, Rachel's going to come and share a little bit about what's taking place in in, in uh, Paraguay, uh, John's going to come and he's going to preach and share the word of God to us uh, this evening. It's really great to be here again. For those of you um, who don't know me, my name's John and my wife Rachel. We're Elam missionaries. We've just been working in Central America. We hope to go um, to um, South America this, later on this year. Thank you, Paul, for your kind words. But as a Sheffield United fan, Premier League and it seems a very foreign word to us at the moment being stuck in League One as a Sheffield United fan. So thank you to put us up there, um, but I think we're more settled in League One than the Premier League. I've been praying um, and thinking about what I'd like to share with you tonight. Um, we've had a weekend all about missions here on the island. On Saturday we had a fantastic missions day hearing from different people. Um, and it's so great to see a group of churches and a group of individuals who are passionate about missions, who are interested in different missions agencies or, or individuals, organizations, but who are more specifically interested and dedicated to fields of work, people that are interested in what happens at the grassroots levels of ministry. And so I want to thank you for receiving us. It's been absolutely fantastic. 
wherever we live in the world, whatever culture we're in, whatever demographic area that we are in, we as Christians and as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ are called to live out the Great Commission in our lives, which we can find in Matthew 28, specifically in 19 and 20, about going into all nations with the good news, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not too difficult nowadays in our diversely rich culture that we have. We don't need to go great journeys across the uh, oceans to find people who are from different races or different backgrounds or different cultures. And it's fantastic to see people in the United Kingdom acknowledging the call that to be a missionary is for everybody. And the call to spread and share the gospel is universal. And it's fun, absolutely fantastic. It's one of my words this weekend because it's actually been a knockout weekend. It's great to see that God uses ordinary people like us to reach into the world and be salt and light. In Acts 16, we can see when Paul's on his second uh, missions trip, he's travelling around and he meets a young guy, probably a normal guy, and, and, he's, and he sees something special in this young guy's life. And he calls him to accompany him on future missions trips. This young man was probably from a family which we could identify with today. His mother was a believer. His father, it's accounted, was not. Um, and his family... Um, was, was in this situation. He had a good reputation in his local church. And so as a young man, the Apostle Paul saw something in his life that, that was special, something in his life that glowed as a potential to not just be in that community in those circumstances, but to go out into the world. Paul said to, to this guy later on a couple of uh, conditions for his faith. He says to him, live as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, what we're going to do is leave that. We're going to fast forward a thousand or so years to America. There's a young boy called Bruce. Bruce was growing up in a normal family in America for his time. His mother and father weren't Christians. He accounts in his um, testimony how his household was starved of love and affection, and his childhood was an extremely lonely period of his life. He didn't have anybody around him, no friends. Um, he felt a bit like a weirdo. Um, he probably was a weirdo because he felt this way and displayed it to others. But he knew something about himself deep down. At the age of 14, Bruce became a Christian and started hearing about church and about what God was doing in, in church. And so he spent the next few years of his life traveling around, trying to get into church, attending services, youth groups, listening to the pastor, meeting with the pastor, with absolutely no support from home. He had a hunger to go and meet and learn about God. At the age of 16, he went to his first missions conference. He attended and heard a fantastic traveling missionary speaking, very much like myself today. I hope that there are some young Bruces out there. There was a young, a young traveling missionary speaking, and this travelling missionary said something that touched Bruce's heart. He said that there are millions of people in the world dying and hungry, separated from Jesus by their sin. And something in Bruce's heart just went, this is, this is not acceptable. This is crazy that people in the world are dying. Not because of starvation. Yes, they're dying for that. But they're dying because there's a separation they do not know the love of Jesus 
others of salvation in their life. And so he was felt called to be a missionary. He finished his education at the age of 19. He boarded a plane, a few dollars in his pockets. Everyone told him not to go, his family especially, and his pastor and his, everyone in his church. He boarded a plane, flew off to Venezuela. He didn't know who he was working with. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what work he was called to do. But he knew one thing, and it was 100% certain in his life, that God had called him to serve in a foreign land, a people group that he did not know, and to teach them and show them the reality of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to go forward a few years, 40 years on Bruce, a fantastic guy. He's been faithful to God in his calling. He's endured hardships along the way. He's been taken hostage. He's been poisoned. He's been threatened. He's been shot at. His wife died whilst he was on the mission field serving um, a tribe that he was working with at the time. And all of this whilst he was faithfully working out what God had called him to do. Through his lifestyle and witness, he's been able to, to study, to share and to reach primitive, previously unreached tribes in Latin America with the message and salvation of Jesus and to introduce Jesus to these tribes. Meeting them not only with the gospel, but inside of their culture. He has established culturally sensitive Bible institutes, hospital outreaches, discipleship courses, and over the last 40 years, about 400 of the young tribesmen from different tribal areas on the Colombian-Venezuelan border have graduated in medicine, in theology, and different things along those lines, and not gone off to the city. They've returned to the rainforests with the good news and with the skills that they have been taught and learned. Not one of his understudies has gone off to the Western world. He has kept his westernization completely separate from the gospel that he takes over. He only allows one culture to permanently... What's the word? Permetrate? What's the word in English? Let's say it together. He's only let one culture to his ministry and that is God's culture. The stuff that we find in the Bible. We do the things we do not because we're British, not because we're Western. We do the things we do because we are God's children and we know the way that our Father works out. He's done all of this and he's an absolutely fantastic guy. Through love, Bruce has often been rejected in his work. From Christians around him, never he first landed in Venezuela and was not accepted to work with any missional organization because no one had officially sent him from the United States. So they would not even accept him into their houses um, or communities to feed. But he's acted with love, always acting and living out the commandments that he finds in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. In word, Bruce has always done what he said he was called to do. And he's been consistent in what he's been doing. He sought God's word and counsel before he stood before men of the world, before he stood before international governments, before he stood before mining and drilling corporations to defend the indigenous people who he had been called to take Jesus to. He was what he said he was, because he knew the voice that was leading him, the voice of the good shepherd, the voice of his 
hear the voice of Jesus that called him to go where no one was going. And he did it all through love. And so if we look into Acts 16 at Paul on his second missions trip, that young man, as we know, was was later Timothy. He was at the time Timothy, later grew up to be a great missionary. He saw that life transformed through seeing the gem, the possibility in that young, dedicated Christian boy's life. Later on, Paul writes in the introduction of six of his letters, uses Timothy's name. So much respect he had for this young whippersnapper that had gone out and done this, that he wrote and used him as an example. And about 12 years after their first meeting, Paul writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example to the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now, I first thought I was going to speak to you at the Youth United night. So I wrote this for children and children for youth. And the, my message for the young people tonight in this is, look, honestly, guys, we have to be pure. We have to be consistent. We have to have good conduct. Do you know why? Because when we say to people, we know Jesus and he is our good Lord and, and I am saved, I am different. We need to live that out day by day. And when we are faithful in what we believe and someone sees that gem, you can revolutionise not only Guernsey, but different places that you go in the world. You will be prepared and you will be fortified to respond to the call that Paul has given this morning. You may be sitting there thinking, I want to go. But you know, when we say we want to go, like Bruce, it might not be tomorrow. It might be six years down the line. On walking in everything, conduct, in speech, in love, faith, and purity. So these two missionaries, separated by centuries, demonstrate and the living out of these and the application of these qualities and how they can bring fruit to your to your ministry, and also bring people from primarily, which is our aim, to know of the great salvation um, which can be found in Jesus. If you're here tonight and you previously um, have felt a call to, to be involved in missions either here in England or, or internationally, um, please speak to one of the pastors um, of the Three Even Churches on, on Guernsey. Please reignite that, that flame, that passion in your life for missions. And if you're a young person tonight that's been listening to what we've heard about the Freedom Project or looking at the life of different people, and you, or you're a young Christian, or it's your first time of ever hearing about missions, go and speak to one of the pastors and say, I want to get involved. This is something fresh. I want to be on the front line. Train me, teach me, make me into the soldier that will stand a good fight and will run a good race and go into the darkest places and be a light. Go into the most sourest pot of soup and be a beautiful dash of salt. That is what we're called to do. And so please go and speak to your leaders. And for all of us, I just want to reiterate what this missionary said before Bruce took up the call. There are millions of people in the world dying, hungry, because they are separated from Jesus by their sin. Hear the words, and we must act as Christians. We must talk, and we must go. So please be encouraged. Thanks, John. really appreciate that. Do you know 
while John was speaking, these guys are seriously spending the weekend. Well, we spent, we spent numerous weeks and weekends with these guys now, and that their passion for, for reaching the lost in Latin America specifically and, and doing their, their mission there is, is just unbelievable. It's, it's, it's seriously inspirational. Those that were with us this morning at Barzon can just feel this tangible passion that they have to serve Jesus where they're called to. But it's not, they're not the missionaries. They are missionaries in Latin America, but they're not the only missionaries. We're all missionaries. We're all called to go and declare the gospel in the world. And I just want to look at just a Guernsey figure quickly. When I look through what I believe to be the, the Bible-believing churches, where we see born-again Christians, I would say there's probably just over 1,000, maybe 1,500 Christians, born-again Christians in Guernsey. That's less than 2%, maybe 2% of our island's population. That's a sorry stat, statistic. Guernsey needs some missionaries. Guernsey needs some missionaries. And they're sat here, in this room, in other other churches dotted around the island. Guernsey needs missionaries that are radical and that are willing to go through humiliation, that are willing to be abused for their faith, are willing to speak out about the injustices, such as human trafficking, but speak about the injustices that we see on this island. We need people like that. And it's us. And we need to... Favourite saying of John's, man up and get on with the job. I know it's harsh, but it's true. I want to see more than 1,500 people saved. At the moment, there's over 60,000 people going to hell on this island alone breaks my heart breaks my heart and before Rachel comes and shares I'm going to just ask can you guys because you're so passionate about mission where you are can you just pray for us here that as we go into our island that we will be effective in our ministry and in reaching those 60,000 people that don't know Jesus and then we'll hand over to Rachel to share about Paraguay Oh, Lord God, you are a mighty God, and there is nothing that is impossible for you. Just come before you now to pray for these churches that have such a heart to see this island changed for your glory and your fame. Father, just equip every individual here to be able to speak up against injustice and to be able to step forward to become brave Christians that aren't worried about what other people think, that will spend themselves on behalf of your heart's desires, that will step out and speak out in their faith to those that are non-Christians in their families, at work, in their schools, in any area of their lives. Equip them, Lord, to go out on this mission field in Guernsey, put the words in their mouths, and give them the braveness in their hearts and make it like a fire in their bellies that they cannot ignore until they have taken action. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we do not do this alone. Holy Spirit, go with us out into the communities of Guernsey. In the power of your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, hello. (laughs) Sorry, John. Um, It's really, really lovely to come and end this wonderful missions weekend with all three of the churches together. We have been really blessed Um, mainly because so many people have come up to us this weekend and gone, oh my, you're young. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. I just turned 30 this year. (laughs) Um, But most of all, that you have been so encouraging to us to say, you know, continue 
step out in faith. We are praying for you. We want to come alongside you. And I just want to thank you so much because at all the different events along the way this weekend, we have really felt loved. And do you know what? Sometimes we talk about the fact that in Galatians chapter 6 it says, do not become weary. And do you know what? When you're on furlough, and I'm sure many of you that travel for your work know, you can feel a bit tired. And you can turn up at places and just think, Oh, Lord, you're going to have to give me the strength for what we're about to do. But you know what? I've not once felt that this weekend. I've just felt so much more refreshed and blessed by your love and encouragement and wonderful words. And the food on Guernsey is incredible. Oh, I just don't want to go home. (laughs) But no, seriously, um, for those of you that don't know what we're doing, we've come up through Elam Missions in quite a natural progression from starting out in short-term Um, missions trips, myself going out to Honduras in 2005 and John had actually been to Ecuador in 2002, many years before I'd even met him, uh, connected to another organisation. So when we um, married and looked into what we could do in missions, um, we were um, given many options of places that we just felt it had to be somewhere that speaks Spanish because of course that's what we've learned and so that's the most useful thing and we were introduced to Paraguay We went out to Paraguay for a um, two and a half week short-term missions trip to go and visit a children's home and to go and minister and do youth work, which was um, our area of expertise. And it just ignited something in us. We've neither of us ever gone to another country and felt that it was more like our home than where we lived back in the UK. And it was just incredible. We just felt like God was cementing something in us. We went back again and tested the waters and about eight months later, and we went back again, short-term missions trips, testing out what were the needs in these areas. And then eventually, through working alongside um, Elam HQ and really testing our calling, we went out in 2009 to become full-time missionaries, and that march was kind of it for us. We were like, there is something different that's going to happen in our lives. After a year, we were asked to go out to Honduras to help with the transition period, and we felt God was saying to us, be obedient and go. We were devastated. (laughs) We were just like, excuse me? Just spent three to four years trying to get out to Paraguay, and you're telling us to go to Honduras? Okay, we're just going to have to trust in this. And this last two and a bit years have been incredible, because as much as we have been working to equip and train churches, and coming alongside the youth leaders and Project Joseph, which is the children's feeding project out there, God was training us. We went into Paraguay uh, thinking, yeah, we could probably do this. We went into Honduras thinking we have no idea what we're doing. We came out of Honduras going, thank God, because there is not a training course on earth that could have equipped us as well as what we experienced in Honduras. However, it may have also given us a few gray hairs, but it says in Proverbs, you know, it's the crown of, uh, now it's escaped me, (laughs) Um, but it's the crown of splendor. That's what I'm clinging to. You know, that's what God has given us here in the mission field. But now we're at the point where God is saying to us, now is the time of your heart's desire. And we just feel like we have been equipped and trained through these last three years of full-time ministry to be able to go out and pioneer a work connected to the children's homes and churches that we were working with in Paraguay. And not only to go back and um, work alongside them, but to be able to see areas of need 
where we can actually establish churches and community outreach, social action that shows the love of Jesus in a practical way, but that the end product is evangelism to bring people to Christ. 90% of the population in Paraguay are Catholic. It's a Catholic state. There are only 6% of the country that are in evangelical churches. In the Chaco, there are still tribes, and it's the only place in Central and South America after Brazil that has uncontacted tribes that have never had contact with anyone from the Western world. It's an incredible feeling of desperation and need in Paraguay at this time. In Honduras, we encountered a lot of poverty mentality where people were trapped by the mental state that they had become enclosed in, that they didn't feel they could get themselves out of their circumstances, and it was easier just to sit back. In Paraguay, we've encountered actual poverty. Just this last year alone, they were hit with foot and mouth disease, which wiped out a lot of their cattle, which is the main agricultural export out of Paraguay. They then had a drought, which then killed off any of their crops that were left over. Then after that, they had um, a bushfire, and they have special grass that they've brought over from Africa for the cattle to graze on. And this fire was nothing like the fires you see out in you know, the America during these awful tragedies that happen but it just killed off all this grass. So any of the cattle that had pretty much managed to survive foot and mouth disease was now struggling to be taken to pastures to graze. There are people out there that don't have anything left to eat, but it's not newsworthy because it's this little country in the middle of all these other countries and nothing spectacular has happened. It's only appeared on the BBC World News um, three times in the last year alone. But we have friends on the ground that are saying, pray for rain, pray for provision, pray for someone to hear our call. And we feel that that call is that they need to know Jesus and have salvation. So for those of you that would like to come and find out a bit more about our plans, we are hoping to go out later on this year, end of September, to be able to go and study Guarani, which is the Indian dialect that is spoken in most of the rural areas. So I just learned Spanish can't believe that we're now got to get this other language under our belt but it's God's purpose and the amazing thing is um, sorry if you've heard this before but um, we really have got to grips with Spanish but we still make mistakes and often when we're preaching I have this huge confusion between what the word for fish is and what the word for sin is now in Spanish fish is pecado sin is pescado no I've done it the wrong way around even here Pescado is fish, pecado is sin. It's just an S, that's the only difference. And the amount of times I've said to people, Jesus can save you from your fish. And everyone bursts out laughing and you're just like, I've done it again, brilliant. And I was so worried and, you know, John's a bit more casual but still I think stressed. Um, how are we going to learn Guarani from a Spanish speaker when we are English? and triangulate this. We're going to end up going out into these rural areas saying Jesus has purple skin and he saves you from your fish and they're going to think, what are these missionaries talking about? But through our last trip last May, we were told about a mission organisation that has a missionary who actually is from the States, grew up in a British boarding school in Zimbabwe, I think, and knows about Marmite and Bovril, so we're covered there and um, actually is married to a Bolivian living in Paraguay. 
and he is, has got a language school where he teaches missionaries, Guarani, and he can teach us from English. How amazing is God taking care of that major hurdle in the first step? So we hope and pray that we will be able to go out with provision in this September and that from there we'll be able to reconnect with people we're already working alongside. We'll be able to look at the new terrain that needs to be broken to be able to establish works to glorify and honour God and to bring the word of salvation into the lives of the people that we meet. So after this service, we'll be loitering around at the back. Please do and come and ask questions, find out from us more details than I can give in this small slot. Um, we also would like to encourage you um, to pray for us. We specifically have some little bracelets that you might see some people already with um, that say JNR on. Um, these are to take away only if you are going to be a faithful prayer. Because when you wear these, we would hope you look down and see our initials and say, I'm going to pray for Rachel and John's health, protection, and that their ministry will bring fruit. And then also, if you would like to find out about being able to partnership with us in monthly sponsorship, we have um, some pledge forms at the back. If you sign up one of them, oh, look at that, you can get yourself a bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> but really, most of all, come and chat to us. Come and see what we're doing and ask the questions. And again, thank you so much for having us here for this weekend. It's been a real blessing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Delancey Eden Church. For more podcasts, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelan.co.uk.